All right, we are closing out the book of Deuteronomy today. And we are going to go a little bit into Joshua. Uh, but before we start, let's ask God to bless us as we plow through this wonderful material that God has laid out for us of history, true history. Lord, we just thank you for this Bible. We thank you that we can look in it and see, see the very mind of God and see what he has, what he wants us to know. And we've seen that the secret things belong to you, Moses said in Deuteronomy, but that there are the things that are revealed in this book, and there's so many things, and one thing leads to another, and where there's a question on something, usually another place in the Bible will have the answer. So we are thankful for this book, and we ask that you would bless it to our hearts and bless it to our families, and, and may, we, may we treasure it, and may we read it daily and lay it up in our hearts so that that's what you say, that uh, you, we won't sin against you when we see what you want us to do. So bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I, in looking for this thing from Joel Rosenberg about each tribe and how even today things have been fulfilled that Moses said, remember in Deuteronomy 33, he says, all of these different tribes, Reuben, Judah, Levi, about them, that they were to be the ones that were to take care of the holy things. But then it mentions down here Joseph in verse 16 that he'll have great wealth, the precious things of the everlasting hills. What could that be but mining in hills? Precious things in the earth. Well, that could be a lot of things too, couldn't it? And the deep lying beneath. So Joseph's territory should be filled with all kinds of wealth. Uh, then Zebulun uh, and Issachar, it says the treasures in the sand. Well, now that would be oil. And see, when Moses wrote this, they didn't know. I mean, we know that when Abraham was near Sodom and Gomorrah, and he fought the kings that came over to fight and take care of Sodom and Gomorrah, that the oil was bubbling out of the ground. That's back there in Genesis. I think it's chapter 12 or 11 or 13. So oil has always been known over there, but they haven't had the technology. But God says the treasures are hidden in the sand, and then Asher let him dip his foot in oil. You know, if that isn't a prophecy that needs to be fulfilled, well, it's been fulfilled. Mark sent me this. It was in 2012, Israel emergence as energy superpower making waves. And about that Israel Prime Minister Golda Meir famously lamented that Moses led the children of Israel for 40 years of wandering in the desert until he found the only place in the Middle East where there wasn't any oil. Well, see, she was very, very wrong. But the timing wasn't right yet. But could Moses have been smarter than believed? Apparently, the Canadians and the Russians think so, as both countries are moving to step up energy relations with the tiny nation whose total energy reserves some experts now think could rival or even surpass the fabled oil wealth of Saudi Arabia. Actual production is still minuscule, but evidence is accumulating that the promised land from a natural resource point of view could be an El Dorado, inch for inch, the most valuable and energy-rich country anywhere in the world. If this turns out to be true, a lot of things are going to change, and some of those changes are already underway. And then this whole article is about that. And then this Jewish friend of mine sent me this absolutely remarkable Israel. And this was in 2010. And it grows food in sand, powers homes from the sun, and this year launches the world's finest citywide electric car system. So how has war-torn Israel become such an echo pioneer? Well, this, all the way through, it just tells about all the things that their high-tech industry is doing. And we know their medical field is unrivaled. I just read years ago that they were able to grow teeth even. It's just amazing how God has blessed them in many ways. Now, we've seen that they have been very disobedient. They're stiff-necked, but God is going to keep his promises to them. And I read here, because we aren't too much different. One of Ned's favorite authors is Paul Johnson. 
who's a British historian. I sent this out on the email yesterday in his history of Christianity. And you see, he said, certainly mankind without Christianity conjured up a dismal prospect. The record of mankind with Christianity is daunting enough. The dynamism of history unleashed has brought massacre and torture from Christians, intolerance and destructive pride on a huge scale. For there's a cruel and pitiless nature in man which is sometimes impervious to Christian restraints and encouragements. Well, it was true of Israel. It's true of all mankind. But without these restraints, bereft of these encouragements, how much more horrific the history of these last 2,000 years would have been. In, in the last generation, with public Christianity and headlong retreat, we have caught our first distant view of a de-Christianized world, and it is not encouraging. And isn't that where we are today? Mm -hmm. A de-Christianized world. Well, I save a lot of these things, and so I was going through them to try to find Joel Rosenberg, and I find all these other things that I thought were so good, too. All right, now turn with me to the last chapter, because we saw this, the promises to the tribes by Moses before he dies. The last thing he said, happy are you, O Israel, verse 29 of chapter 33. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty? Your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. Well, we can see a lot of this being played out, and I was seeing one other thing that I had from Israel about the Palestinians complaining and saying, their God is deflecting our rockets. That We head them one way, and suddenly the wind shifts, and they go off a different direction. And they said, their God is very powerful. Well, he is. Chapter 34. Moses went up from the plains of Moab. Now here, I want you to get this picture. Here's the big Jordan River, and it's in full flood stage right now. And the promised land is on the west side of the Jordan with the Mediterranean Sea as its backdrop. Well, they're on the east side of the Jordan. They still have to cross over the Jordan but they can see across it. It's all very flat there for a while. See, now here's the Jordan, and on both sides, east and west, it's flat, but it begins, then these high mountains come. So God is going to say, Moses, now you're not going to be able to go across. I'm going to take you up on a mountain here, and you can look and see everything, all the whole land you can see, but you're not going to be able to go because you disobeyed me. I told you to speak to the rock, and you struck the rock twice when they were thirsty. The rock is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was to be stricken once. And the next time you speak to him, see, that's the picture. Uh, he died for our sins on the cross once, and then after that we talk to them. We ask him whatever we want, we pray. So that's the picture of this. So he broke the type. And so for that reason, you think, well, that isn't much. Oh, yes, it is. And he said, you cannot go into the promised land. And so I'm going to show it to you. And so he took him up to Mount Nebo, see this high mountain, and he could see the land. Now he said here, Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. That would be way north all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, clear to the Mediterranean, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar, which is just at the tip of the Dead Sea, that city, that Lot said, please, Lord, let me go and hide in Zoar because I'm afraid if I go into the mountain, some evil might come upon me. And he'd been in the worst place in all the world in Sodom. But he's afraid some evil will come to him. And, well, some evil did come to him. But it wasn't that. It was his own thinking and his daughters that had been raised in Sodom with no morals at all. So he saw all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. So I want you to picture, here's the Jordan, over here are the children of Israel in Moab, and over here in the plain still is Jericho. But then very soon it goes up into the mountain where Jerusalem is, and 
AI is up high. But so that's where Jericho was, the city of palm trees. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him. Now, he didn't burn him. He didn't cremate him. He buried him. And so when I see in the Bible that God buried Moses and Abraham buried Sarah and Jesus was buried in the rich man's tomb, that's the way God does things. Now, it might be more expensive, but if God's going to do it that way, that's the way we're going to do it in my family. Because the other way is the heathen way. That's what the Indians over in India, if a widow is left... She had to be killed and burned on the same pier with her husband. And so that's why I do not like cremation. And Norm Geisler, bless him, he wrote a book called Why Are Christians Making Ashes of Themselves? (laughs) Why Are Christians Making Ashes of Themselves? But anyway, I don't think it had much publicity or maybe it never got printed. But anyway, now if you get burned in a fire... That's different. I mean, it's as if the heathen are saying, now just have tried, try to resurrect this. Well, that's nothing for God. He will do it. But he will, even if people do get cremated, that doesn't delay God. He will be able to do a miracle just anyway. But I'm just telling you what, what I think the Bible teaches. So he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab. God buried Moses opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Now then, somebody was fighting this, and I'll turn back to the last book before Revelation, the little book of Jude, one chapter, and it's full of interesting things that, kind of the secret things that belong to the Lord, but yet Uh, He's told us inklings of things that whet our appetite about this because Jude was going to write about the gospel, but then he said in verse 4, certain men have crept in unnoticed into the church who long ago were marked out for condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I wanted to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. We've just studied that. He took them out of the land of Egypt. Moses led them out from being slaves across the Red Sea that dried up for them. He saved them and afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now, who did he destroy? Do you remember they were complaining against Moses? And so the earth opened up for Dathan and Abiram and swallowed up all their families and their herds and all their wealth. So the same people, you know, God loved these people, and he brought them out of Egypt, but the same ones that he loves, if they are disobedient, you can expect God to finally, his patience will run out, like it did even with Sodom. So it said he destroyed them. Now, it doesn't mean they went to hell. They just died early. Once you're a believer, they were believers, and they'll be in heaven someday, and so will we. But when we sin... He may have to take us home early. You know, it's, there is a sin unto death, we read in, in John. So they're the angels. Notice he said, they did not believe and they were destroyed. So they died early. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain. You mean angels could do that? But left their own habitation. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Second Peter 2.4 tells us that these angels that sinned in Genesis 6, cohabiting with humans, and the result were Nephilim, or the fallen ones, or the giants. They were super strong, super smart, but super cruel. And that's what happened. They left their own habitation, and they cohabited with humans. And it happened again. Well, turn back so that you just know what I'm talking about. And on the dining room table is about Nephilim. Everything you need to know about it is there. But notice what it says in Genesis 6. It begins this way. came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, 
and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, and in the Old Testament this is always angels, the angels, like Job chapter 1, write that for your reference if you say a son of God would be a, an Israeli. No, these mean angels. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took them wives for themselves of all whom they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. He's indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants, Nephilim, fallen ones. The Septuagint says, Mixed human and angelic descent, like the titans of old, Roman and Greek mythology. So, you know, what was his name in the great blue ox? Paul Bunyan. Yeah, Paul Bunyan and the great blue ox and all of the other, Hercules and about all the mythology that the angels came down from heaven in Greek mythology and married humans and that's where it's based on the truth that happened. They were mighty men who were of old um, men of renown. But verse 4 says there were giants in the earth in those days and also after the flood amongst the Canaanites. Now that's an important thing to see. That Canaan was corrupt and was perverted. And his, it's the Canaanites. And in the last chapter of Zechariah in the Old Testament, the almost the New Testament, said there's no more Canaanite in the land. Meaning people that were like this. And so it says that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, man became so evil right away after they were created and sin, sin came upon the human race and the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. The Lord was sorry he'd made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I've created and every creeping thing. But he said in verse eight, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. So his family evidently wasn't corrupted with this angelic infiltration. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. You know, and Jesus says that in, like it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be in the very last days before Jesus comes back. Can you see all of this happening in our world today? Just every evil thing that you could think of. Well, trying to wipe out Christianity. It'll be a dim memory and murdering Christians. And that's what is happening all over the Middle East. They're beheading them. They're getting rid of them and probably in America. So it says that God looked upon the earth. Indeed, it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I'll destroy them with the earth. But you make an ark of safety. And that's the story of, of Noah and the ark. So back here in Jude, it mentions this. And the angels, verse 6, Jude, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own habitation, he's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just turn back a little not very far to 2 Peter 2, 4, just a few pages back. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, verse 4, but cast them down to hell, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and didn't spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, see what the time period that this is, the time of the flood, and saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot. He delivered righteous Noah. And who would have thought that Lot was righteous? He was certainly not an example of a godly person because he had sex with his daughters and the children that were born have been inveterate enemies the Ammonites and the Moabites of Israel ever since. But he was saved, that righteous person. And I notice what it says about him and Peter, who delivered righteous Lot. What was Lot thinking well, all the time he was in Sodom? Who is oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day. 
wouldn't that be an awful way to live out his life in Sodom? He was getting wealthy, and he lived down there, and he was a leader in the city, but his soul was tormented from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the days of judgment. So then Jude mentions this also. He said, The angels that left their own habitation have been reserved in chains of darkness, like Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh or flesh of another kind, of a different person, angels and humans. They're set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a railing accusation against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now see, this is our passage. So evidently there was quite a battle, spiritual battle, that evidently the devil didn't want Moses to be buried. That Michael the archangel contending, there was a contention with the devil about a dispute about the body of Moses. Uh, see, if they could have some way saved it and made it into an idol to worship, and that's what would have happened because Moses would have been very famous. Now see, this is a very evil, evil avenger in Psalms chapter 8 that you may fight against the enemy and the avenger. That's who he is. He wants to destroy humanity. He hates God. He hates Jesus. He was a beautiful, gorgeous angel at one time. And he was the prince over this earth. And when God, well, you need to see all of this because it just opens up so much of the Bible to you. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, what could the devil offer him? This world said, it's all mine to give you, the kingdoms of this world. Well, in Job chapter 1, God tested Job. He said to Satan, have you seen my servant Job, how righteous he is? Yeah, he said, just, but let me put my hand on it. Let me have him a little while, and he'll curse you to your face. And that's what chapters 1 and 2 of Job are about. And so he is a very important person. Let's turn to, first of all, Isaiah 28, and then Ezekiel 14. Oh, it's Isaiah 14. We get off on rabbit trails, but I sometimes think that maybe that we need to. Isaiah chapter 14, under the destruction of Babylon. Notice it says in verse 12 of chapter 14 in Isaiah, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning or morning star? Son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, there are five I wills. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. So he had a throne. Where was it? Here on earth. I will exalt my throne above the stars, the other angels that have thrones in other planets, other parts of God's creation. I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God. I also will sit on the mount of the congregation in the farthest sides of the north. So evidently this is where God dwells. We can see the heaven out here, then there's the farther heaven, and then the third heaven is where God dwells on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I'll be a counterfeit God. I'll be like God. Yet you shall be brought down to hell. All right, now then turn to Ezekiel 28, I think it is. No wonder he thought he was wonderful because he was beautifully created by God under the Prince of Tyre. You see, sometimes he's brought in under like the king of Babylon who was controlled by him or the king of Tyre who was controlled by him. But now this is a lamentation. Take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say, and this is obviously beyond any human being as we read this, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom 
and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. I see the king of Tyre wasn't in Eden. But you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. He's a created being. All the angels were created when the stars were created the fourth day. And man was created what day? The sixth day. And the angels were given charge over jobs over each of the stars and all of God's creation. But then when man was created, God said to Adam, I'm giving you dominion over this earth. Now who is already hearing that and was already had a throne here? Doesn't that make sense that it just infuriated him? And he said, I'm going to do away with that man that's going to be given authority over my earth. Notice what it says. The workmanship of your temples were prepared in the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the firing stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. I don't think some of this has been fulfilled yet because Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But that's a future thing. And I think it's going to be in, during the tribulation. He's, he still has access to God's throne. He did in Job's day. And he is the accuser of the brethren even today. But he's somebody that's smarter than you and I are. And he's somebody that only with the power of the Holy Spirit can we prevail against him because he's powerful more than we are. But Paul tells us that greater is he that's in you. Just keep remembering that. Greater is the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer than the person that's in the world. He that runs the world, that's Satan. So back here, we see in Jude that Michael the archangel contended with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. But he dared not bring him a reviling accusation because they were both archangels. And so they had to treat one another with sort of respect. And so he didn't bring a reviling accusation, but just said, the Lord rebuke you. Leave it to the Lord, and the Lord is going to take care of him someday. So back here in our passage today, at the end of Deuteronomy, God buried him, verse 6, in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, and no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. So there's hope for us aged people. <laughs> people. And Joshua was 110. So, you know, who knows? But I hope the Lord comes very soon, don't you? And so he said, his eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor abated. So he was well able to take them and lead them across the Jordan. But God's, because of his sin, he was not able to do it. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab. This is east of the Jordan. 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses. And that's what we read all through the Old Testament, whom the Lord knew face to face. And that's, this is so wonderful to think of that back in Exodus 33, after Moses broke the Ten Commandments, um, God made him another set of commandments, chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here. This is after they worshipped the golden calf, and God was going to destroy them. And Moses said, Well, don't destroy them. Destroy me. See what kind of a leader he was? He said, Depart and go up from here. Chapter 33, verse 1. And the people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt, 
take them to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, Amorite, Hittite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. And that's why we need to really read and realize that this land that seemed to be in Mark Twain's day just an empty waste, that who would want to live there? It's going to be the wealthiest land in all the world, and it's going to be the capital, really, from Jerusalem is where Jesus will rule the whole world. Go up to this wonderful land, unless I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard these grave tidings, they mourned, and no one put on his jewelry. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You're a stiff-necked people. I can come up against your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your jewelry, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. This is where Mount Sinai. And Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that the people rose up and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he'd gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. That's what led them by day, shielded them from the sun as they came out of Egypt. And by night, a pillar of fire shielded them from the night and they could walk in the night. So the people saw this pillar, and they worshiped the Lord, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's the only person in the Bible that says that the Lord spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and I've found grace in your sight. Now therefore I pray, if I've found grace in your sight, show me now your way. I want to see what you look like, Lord. <laughs> in John it says, No man has ever seen God at any time. If you want to know about God, you look at Jesus. That's what Jesus said. If you want to know everything about God, just look at Jesus, and that's God. And so he said, Show me your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said, If your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Please, Moses did, show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Paul quotes this in Romans 9. And to whom today will he be gracious? The believer. To whom is he gracious? To the believer. And so, to whom I will be gracious, I will be gracious. And to whom I will have compassion, I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so we come to the end of Moses. It said, there's not been a person like Moses whom the Lord knew, verse 10 of chapter 34, face to face, in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all of his servants, in all of his land, by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. And so then as we move over into the next part, which all goes together. After the death of Moses, this is Joshua chapter 1, 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, Joshua, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. Imagine him looking at this flowing river that was overflowing its bank. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. This is a huge amount of land. You know, a lot of people say that all of Turkey was inhabited by the Hittites at one time. So they are going to someday have a great tract of land that they've never had before when Jesus comes. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong, Joshua, and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. You'll tell Judah where to go. You'll tell Simeon where to go. You'll divide the land among the twelve tribes. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then, if you do this, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. If you don't, it's going to be disaster all the way. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Don't be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and Gadites and half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and giving you this land on the east of the Jordan, because they when they defeated Og and Sihon, when they defeated the Amorites. They said, well, this is great pasture land for our flock. We'd like to settle here. We don't care about going into the promised land. So Moses and God said, okay, two and a half tribes can go. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and half tribe of Manasseh would stay on the east. But he said, remember what you said, that the Lord is God had given you rest and giving you this land on the east of the Jordan. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on the east of the Jordan. But you, you men, shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help the others until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he has given you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession on the east side of the Jordan and enjoy it which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise, so that'd be the east. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and doesn't heed your words, Joshua, in all that you command shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. She's probably a ritual harlot. All the girls had to spend time being a harlot in the temple of Baal and had to have sex with every man that came to worship Baal. It's a terrible thing. That's what Ephesus was all about. It was a filthy place too. Heathenism is really terrible. And we read in the Psalms that the dark places of the earth are full of the haunts of cruelty. Just remember that the dark places of the earth where they don't know Jesus, they're full of the haunts of cruelty. They came to her house, they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho saying, 
Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they've come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me. This was quite brave of her, wasn't it? The men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you Jews. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the east side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. And the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I've shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the man answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, and she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Now remember, here's the Jordan, and here's on the still the plain is Jericho, but right away then comes the high mountains. So get up to those mountains and hide three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. Then the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Then they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but didn't find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over the Jordan, came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint hearted because of us. So then before we get into three, let's turn to Matthew chapter one, just a minute to look ahead at this story. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judah and his brothers, Judah begat Perez and Tamar, Zerah by Tamar, Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Aminadab, Aminadab begat Nation, and Nation begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Now look who married married and became in the family of Jesus. Boaz by Rahab. Boaz then begat Obed by Ruth, the Moabitess, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. Isn't that thrilling how God reached down and took this former prostitute, saved her, and brought her into the royal family? So all of this is so thrilling for me to see. But you might write that about Salmon marrying her. He was one of the spies, incidentally. 
they fell in love and got married. So then, chapter 3, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Remember, there are three and a half million people here. Yet there shall be a space between you and the ark by about 3,000 feet. Don't come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. God will lead you. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He's a God of wonders. And that's what I love. He's a God of wonders. He was in the time of the judges that he can do wondrous things. And so then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the ark before the covenant, cross over before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant, went before the people, and the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to magnify you, Joshua, in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you've come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here, hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they'll stand in a heap. Did they do that in the Red Sea when they crossed over? Yes. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam. This is near where Balaam was from. It's a long way north. So the waters that went down from the Sea of the Arab the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, failed. So the, no water was going into the Dead Sea and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now imagine the people high looking down from the walls of Jericho and seeing this huge bunch of people going over dry shot. Can you imagine that they'd be more scared than ever? And the priests who bore the ark stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. 
Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they're there to this day. So the priests who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and hurried across. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the Ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence. Do you suppose any of them were a little faint-hearted? I wonder how long the people are over. I just What if that water would start coming down? No. So they waited. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and flowed all over its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Now does that remind you of anything in Exodus 12, the tenth day they were to take a lamb, and then the fourteenth day, it's Passover time. So the people came up from the Jordan and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Now it's three miles northeast of Jericho where they camped. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you'd crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we'd crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And then this next, the circumcision of the people. We'll stop here today and next week we'll probably take five or ten more chapters. I don't know how many. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. How exciting it is to read your actions on behalf of your people. How faithful you are, how good you are, how mighty you are, how, what wondrous things you can do. So we ask, Lord, that you bless our families and bless us as we consider these things today. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.